Good morning, and welcome to episode 31 of Effectively Wild, the Daily Baseball Prospectus podcast in New York, New York. I am Ben Lindbergh in Long Beach, California, in his Honda Fit. It is Sam Miller with the door closed today. The door is closed. I'm roasting. And why is the door closed? Uh, we got a complaint about the crickets. <laughs> yes. I noticed myself last night that the, the crickets were particularly loud, but I, I thought it was a pleasant sound as I am a, a city boy who doesn't get to hear crickets except when I talk to Sam every night. Well, I bow to the pressure of basically any person who tells me to do something, and uh, it was only one complaint. <laughs> if I got one person saying they missed the crickets, then <laughs> tomorrow we can have a, right, so a if, reunion, a big reunion show with a cricket. If Sam gets, let's say, at least two emails tomorrow requesting crickets, then uh, we will have the door open on the Honda Fit tomorrow. So we can just control Sam's uh, recording situation and, and temperature. By reader request or listener it is request. Really, really hot in here. <laughs> okay, then let's talk about things. Uh, before we begin, I have an omission. Oh no. Um, I got a tweet from Vanessa Dembski who pointed out that uh, she is a new subscriber to the podcast, which we appreciate, and she pointed out that most frustrated Braves fans could tell you without citing Babbitt that McCann hits into the shift way too often. So apparently that is a thing uh, that people have have advanced as a explanation for why his average is so much lower this year and why his BABIP is so much lower, is that he is hitting into the shift often. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that can explain the entire drop, but perhaps I will have to look into it. Uh, so on to our new topics. Uh, what is yours? Davy Johnson. Uh, really? Is that seriously? Is that yours? Is Davy Johnson? Yeah. What are the odds? I was actually dreading this show because I I couldn't quite put you on a topic, and I was afraid you were gonna either pick something I had no clue on, or you were gonna um, pick something I didn't want to talk about. And so I was kind of going through the possibilities and. Uh, this is fine. I mean, I, I don't like this show going more than 10 minutes, so this is great as far have, as I'm concerned. I have a backup, I guess. No, you don't. You said Davy Johnson. We're talking about Davy Johnson. <laughs> all right. Doubling up. I like doubling up episodes. Okay. This is the third double up episode, and I've liked all of them. All right. Let's talk about Davy Johnson. Well, so do you want to start, or should I start, or do you uh, just... The background? Yeah, I can... You want You want me to go? Uh, Sure. So for most of my time reading Baseball Prospectus, um, Davey Johnson was uh, held up by um, stat head writers as the you know the great unemployed manager um, who would someday return to baseball and save um, save us all. And um, it was like like he he was um, he I think his last job was around 2001 or something like that, and the idea of him returning was like the idea of neutral milk hotel returning or something like that. It was just this super hip idea. And the funny thing about it is that to be honest, I never really knew why everybody liked Davey so much. I, I know he didn't intentionally walk many guys, but otherwise um, I just knew that people liked him and I didn't really know why. And um, so he's having a great year this year. And one thing that's interesting is that he isn't actually that unorthodox compared to his uh, peers. He, he basically is intentionally walking as much as anybody else. He's sacrificing about 
league average. And um, I wouldn't really be able to explain why stat heads love him. And yet I have, I mean, he is having a great year. And I do think that he is probably. When you say he's having a great year, do you mean? I'm saying the Nationals Nationals. are having, yeah, the Nationals are having a great year. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this week, Jason Worth said that they wouldn't be in first place if Jim Riggleman were still the manager. And Johnson also drew a distinction between himself and Riggleman. He said that the old regime was uh, too obsessed with going the other way at the plate instead of taking what the pitcher gives you and hitting a little more aggressively. And I think this is interesting because we tend to mostly acknowledge that manager influence is hard to identify and it might be overstated. Um, But rarely do I see any analysts give the manager credit for the players playing well. That's just sort of... Um, I, th- I think kind of just assumed to be to the player's credit, not the manager's. And um, Chris Jaffe wrote a great book a few years ago called Evaluating Baseball Managers. And part of his premise is that the manager does affect how well players play and that you can measure this and that some managers show a persistent ability to get good performances from hitters or from pitchers or from both. And Johnson at the time ranked 11th all time on the list for getting extra runs out of his um, hitters based on um, the, you know what they based did on for how other managers and exactly yeah, yeah. And, and and then he was ranked 25th all time overall as a manager and so I guess if I were to have a question about Davy Johnson I would probably just want to know uh, whether you think that it's um, a good analysis or dangerous analysis to tie a manager to his players performance and uh, also how would you decide who to vote for for manager of the year i think it is unsatisfying analysis um because there's no way to verify it i don't think i mean even if you compare what a player did uh for certain managers i don't know there it seems to me like there could be some sort of confounding variable there um and you have to adjust for a whole lot of things to make sure that you're comparing it to, I mean, you're factoring in aging and park and, I mean, it could be a, another coach or something. I know when um, when people used to do those studies on the Braves pitchers and Leo Mazzoni and uh, and saying that, that he had some measurable effect on them, uh, it was kind of hard to separate him from Bobby Cox, who was also there. Um, so I don't know. I think statistically it's very difficult to do and not something that I would necessarily find very convincing. Um, mm-hmm. But I I think it exists. Uh, I doubt it's the sort of thing that, I mean, I, I doubt any manager just sort of radiates some aura that, that uh, applies equally to all his players or even most of his players. Um, I would think it's more of a sort of an isolated thing where the manager is able to unlock some potential from some particular player um, more so than affecting everyone equally, or possibly it is just sort of an attitude. Uh, But I, I find it hard to accept that a kind of a manager just implementing some mindset on the team could improve the entire team just because every player is different and has a different personality and it's hard for me to imagine 
a manager's motivation tactics motivating all of his players at any one time. Well, I don't think anybody's saying all of his players or the entire team. I mean, if a win is worth $5 million and a manager can squeeze 10 runs out of his offense more than another manager, uh, that's a pretty good return considering most managers, I don't believe, make $5 million uh, in a year. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it, it always there's always, I think, a, a strong temptation for um, writers and uh, beat writers and, and such to attribute far more than one or two or three wins to a manager Mm -hmm. and i think that probably it is pretty uh obvious that if managers could swing teams fortunes by the 10 or 15 or 20 wins that uh, manager of the year voters want to credit them with they would get paid a lot more than three and four million dollars a year i mean if the the sport is not dumb Mm -hmm. um gms are not dumb and if a manager had that power then you would see managers making 30 or 40 million dollars i think that um that is the idea that or that is the attitude that probably manager of the year voters have and that's nonsense however um i mean we're just talking about maybe a couple wins uh maybe a couple wins mm-hmm. uh would make a manager a great success probably don't you think yes definitely um i mean i think people often think about it as i mean they compare it to having a boss that you like, um, everyone has... I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I mean, most people have had the experience of working for a boss they don't particularly like and maybe have worked for one they don't mind, at least. Um, and I just want to be I want to be clear here that I was talking about Ben. Ben is the boss I don't <laughs> yes, like. Any right. previous managers I've ever had or bosses I've ever had, that was not about you. Mm-hmm. That was about Ben, mm-hmm. who's terrible. Yes. Uh, All right. And so people, I mean, I think I have probably worked harder for certain people than than other people in the past, um, because if you have a great relationship with your boss, you perhaps want to please him and will not uh, mail in your performance as you might for some other boss. And so people sort of see it as a similar situation that a player might want to play hard for his manager, um, which I understand, but I also think it's very, very different in that uh, when we work for a boss, we are trying to do that in a in a self-serving way also, in that we want to advance our own career prospects, and uh, a player just sort of always has a lot of motivation to do that just because a player is never very far away from being a free agent and being on the open market and 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 he's sort of always playing for the 29 other teams um so i don't know i don't i i i wonder whether players would really give so much more effort for a particular manager that it would be a, a huge effect but as you said it doesn't have to be a huge effect it can be a small effect and still be important um I, I actually wanted to talk about Davy Johnson, but not about Davy Johnson so much as an incident he was just involved in, uh, where he and Mike Rizzo, who is the general manager of the Nationals, were, I guess, overheard arguing in a, a very heated way uh, following the Nationals' loss to the Phillies on Sunday, which was a sloppy loss, and it was their fourth loss in a row. 
um, and maybe some frustration boiled over about that. Uh, and Rizzo said that the argument lasted a couple minutes, uh, followed by a, a calmer conversation of 15 minutes. And at one point, uh, according to the report, Johnson, uh, and I quote, sarcastically suggested that Rizzo should manage the team himself. Um, and so they kind of got together for the press and the cameras today or yesterday, if you're listening to this, uh, on Wednesday and just kind of, uh, made up and said, Rizzo said, Davey and I talk after every game, we talk about the goods and the bads of each and every game. And this was probably, I was a little too emotional. We're both pretty passionate and I was a little frustrated. I probably could have tabled it until the next morning, but I didn't. Um, so we don't know exactly what they were arguing about, but, uh, I mean, I think it's hard to not wonder whether this has anything to do with with Strasburg. Um, Yay, we got there. Yes, we got there. And he started last night, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, but, uh, you know, Rizzo has kind of been reported all along as the guy who is driving this. Um, Johnson has been portrayed as a guy who's just kind of going along with it because he's getting the order from above. Uh so I don't know that this has anything to do with that, um, but I I kind of wonder what you think the ideal relationship is between a general manager and a manager. What is best for the team? Um, I wrote something, I guess, early this year about how I thought that these days uh, the front office should really take a more active role in making team decisions um, just because the I feel like the information uh, I guess the, the balance of information has shifted towards the front office uh, as opposed to the coaching staff these days just because there are so many people in the front office who are devoted to analyzing things um, in a way that they weren't 20 years ago or so uh, and so that is a perspective that in many cases, the coaching staff doesn't have um, and maybe has a, a longer view of things or a more nuanced view of things. Not that the manager and the coaching staff should not have a very uh, important role in deciding things because they know the players and are around the players and know how the players react. But uh, I sort of felt that maybe tactical decisions um, Maybe there's some some sense to the front office controlling that a bit more these days than they used to. And, of course, the problem with that is that the managers who are around today are used to autonomy and being able to make those sorts of decisions themselves. So it always creates a conflict and a tension um, between the two. And just having spoken to a few front office people about that over the years, uh, I know they are often frustrated um, or at, at times certainly frustrated by decisions made by their manager, their coaching staff, uh, that they just kind of let go because it's it's a political thing and it's not worth making a huge issue over it. Uh, I, I mean, how do you see the, that relationship breaking down today? Um, is it any different than, than it might have been decades ago? I don't know. I think that there's a um, there is a 
a group mentality that um, a manager builds with his team, with his players, that is crucial to getting through a long year, that is in a way sort of militaristic and isolated and um, and I think that probably it would not go over well if the players felt like the decisions were coming from the guys in the front office. And so I, um, I, I think the manager serves as a, as a sort of a crucial buffer between those guys in suits who negotiate and uh, take you to arbitration and um, the, you know, the team itself. So I think that probably the, the ideal relationship is that you have a manager who is open to lots of information being mm-hmm. presented to him, who listens to uh, rational arguments, and who you can trust to behave rationally. And if you don't have that manager, um, then you start looking for another manager. Mm-hmm. Um, but that probably, um, if you can't trust your manager to make decisions that um, reflect the front office, then it's probably the wrong manager. And um, it's probably not a great idea to start micromanaging. That's my sense. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, okay, so we have covered Davy Johnson from multiple angles. Um, and we will end there. That has been episode 31. We will be back with episode 32 on Wednesday.